Well, uh, this morning, um, well, first let me say this. Hey, I told you you would not be disappointed by our guest speakers that we had the past three weeks, right? I mean, they were amazing. I listened to all three of them. Uh, they did a, a phenomenal job, but you're not going to be disappointed this morning either. We have one of our own, uh, Stephen uh, Miller, who's been a part of our church for eight years. He, he has tremendous insight. There are times I call him when we're talking about history and Old Testament kings. And so who better than to teach us this morning than Stephen Miller? Stephen Miller, come on up and bring God's word to us. Yeah, give me. <laughs> well, good morning, y'all. I'm, I'm glad to be with you today. And um, I do realize inadvertently that I have dressed exactly like the smug guy on the title slide. Uh, this was not intentional, but. I did leave my sunglasses in my truck this morning so that it would not be a complete copy. Well, I am pleased uh, to be talking with you today about one of my favorite periods in history and favorite parts of the Bible. We have been making our way through uh, the stories kind of episodically of various kings of Israel and Judah. We've been going mostly, roughly, chronologically, kind of ping-ponging back and forth between a few of those kings, marching very decisively towards the exile. Um, because we've been moving around in a few different directions, before we get started, I do want to take a minute to, um, as is my nature, pull up a timeline here, and uh, we are going to use that in order to... There we are. We're going to use that in order to get our place in history and in Scripture. So this is a timeline of the entire Old Testament. Uh, we are not going to be looking at the whole thing. We're going to be zooming in on just uh, one small area. Um, so this area that's highlighted is the period of kingship generally. So this is the books of like the end of you know Second Sam, First and Second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, all that. Um, the kingdom was initially united under Saul, David, Solomon, and then under Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Um, the kingdom split into Israel in the north with the capital in Samaria, Judah in the south with the capital in Jerusalem. And in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was wiped out. They were destroyed by people called the Assyrians, who were like the world's first hyperpower. They were the biggest, baddest empire that ever was up to that point, and that was around 722 BC. We are zooming in to a period of few decades after that. Um, in the southern kingdom of Judah, we're going to be looking at the reign of Manasseh and then the brief reign of his son Ammon. So if you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 33, that's where we're going to be looking. You can find another account of this in 2 Kings 21, uh, but we're going to be looking at the account in Chronicles. And as we get into our text, I want to first just kind of set the stage here with the two ideas that I sort of identified as uh, most evident to me upon reading this. And when we read our Bibles, it's important that rather than importing our own ideas and meaning onto it, we want to see what it has to say for itself. This book is one continuous whole. It's one, one continuous story. It's not just a series of disjointed anecdotes. So... Upon reading, these are two ideas that I pulled out, and these are what are going to set the frame for us today. Uh, the first that we're going to see is that God is both merciful and he is also a judge. And both of those things, God's mercy and his judgment, 
display his faithfulness to his covenant people. Those are people that he's in a special relationship with. Both his mercy and his judgment show his faithfulness to his covenant people and his promises. And that following from that, God calls every, each and every generation, each and every person, to walk with him, not relying on the mercy shown to the previous generation, but he calls you to walk with him yourself, to make the choice to follow him. You cannot rely on the faith of your mothers and fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers. You need to rely on, you need to have your own walk with the Lord. So those are two ideas that come out of the text. There's a lot more you can draw out, but that's what we're going to see today. So turn with me to 2 Chronicles 33, and we're going to read the first few verses. We're going to learn about King Manasseh. 2 Chronicles 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. It's a long time. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down, and he erected altars to the Baals, made Asheroth, and worshipped them, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall be my name forever. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of the idol he had made, he set in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will no more remove the foot of Israel from the land that I appointed to your fathers. If only they will be careful to do all that I have commanded them, all the law, the statutes, and the rules given through Moses. And this is a very succinct summary of Manasseh's reign. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed from before the people of Israel. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word that you have revealed yourself to us through it. I pray that you would, through your word today, enliven the hearts of those who have not yet known you and encourage those who have been walking with you for a long time. We love you. Please give us wisdom today. Amen. Well, Manasseh was... He was not a good king. Um, as you read through the, the histories of Israel and these various kings, it'll often start with, and so-and-so did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, or, and so-and-so did what was right. It can be difficult to remember, you know, who was a good king, who was a bad king. So sometimes just having little uh, mnemonics or word devices helps us to remember that. And for Manasseh, I just think, man, that's a bad guy. Manasseh, bad guy. Um, so that is how I remember Manasseh being a bad king, and I can feel the collective eye rolls. Uh, I, can, I feel the pain of that terrible pun. Uh, but hopefully it gives you a little thing to stick in your brain and remember, it's a bad guy. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. What a terrible summary. Uh, Manasseh, he did everything wrong. 
The Lord had called the people of Israel. He had set them apart. They were enslaved in Egypt. And he said, hey, I'm going to save you from that. I'm going to take you into this land. You're going to have your own promised land. All you got to do is walk with me. And that's it. Just me. They failed miserably. And Manasseh was like the culmination of that. He did everything wrong that they were warned about. Rather than worshiping the, uh, the God of Israel at the temple in Jerusalem, as they were instructed to, he led the people in having all these local shrines, worshiping various deities. And they worshiped Yahweh there, but they did that alongside Molech and Baal and Asherah and all these other various deities. They also performed human sacrifice, which was not uncommon among the nations around them, but which is strictly forbidden in the law, including the sacrifice of children. They would burn young children as an offering to a god named Molech. Uh, in some places, the god was called Chemosh. But that is the epitome of terror. <laughs> And then there's something that the author of Chronicles references. He talks about these things like divination and sorcery, mediums, necromancy. These were all practices that were really common with the, with the people of Assyria, the empire that was ruling at the time. And worshiping astral deities like the stars, the sun, the moon, instead of seeing them as just elements of God's creation, they worshiped those things as spiritual beings themselves. And... To make it all even worse, Manasseh set up altars to all of these false and terrible gods in the temple that the Lord had set apart only for himself. So you could not get farther from what they were supposed to be. Now this, to us, 2,700 years later, sounds obviously wrong, and we think, how could they possibly have gone so wrong? But you have to remember, at the time... A monotheistic culture, a monotheistic society was completely unheard of. There had been one or two people who had tried that. Like there was a king in Egypt who kind of tried that, went terribly. It was not the norm to, to think that there's just one God who created everything and that's it. In the ancient Near East, it was common to have local shrines to local deities and that's how people understood the world. So what God was calling them to was completely revolutionary. In a very human way, it's kind of understand. It's Understandable that they would fall back into that. But that is not who the Lord set them apart to be. And if we look at this biblically, we can, we can see Manasseh's disastrous reign as a reversal of the conquest of, his, of, uh, of the land of Canaan. When the people of Israel were brought into the land under Joshua, they were set up with the task of destroying all the cultures that were there before. Because all those peoples had been doing these practices. They had rejected uh, the God of creation, and they were worshiping other gods. So God brings the people of Israel in, says, destroy all of this. You are worshiping me alone. When Manasseh reverts back to these things, he's effectively undoing the, pro- the, the conquest of the promised land. In other words, he's saying, hey, God, yeah, you promised this, but I don't want it. So isn't God then just to remove the thing that he promised to them? It's Parents, it's kind of like when you give your kids something nice and then they just break it. Like, isn't, isn't, I'm not a parent, but I know that's got to be terribly frustrating. <laughs> and you think, oh, you must not have wanted it. I'm not going to get you another one. That's a really petty and, and pithy way of, of seeing what is happening here on a grand theological scale. 
In order to really understand the gravity of this, we need to turn back a few hundred years and a few books in our Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses gives the people a warning and a promise. They're about to enter the land, and he had just spent time telling them, hey, if you walk with God in the land, you'll be blessed. If you walk away with him, walk away from him, you'll be cursed. Not only will you be cursed, you'll be kicked out. Read Deuteronomy uh, chapters 28, 29, and 30, and you'll see this explicitly made clear hundreds of years before it even happens. Hey, you walk away, you're getting kicked out. But let's look at how Moses says this before the people enter the land. He says, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and rules. We heard this mentioned by the chronicler describing Manasseh, going away from that. Then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. If you walk with God, you'll be blessed. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that, the, that you are going over the Jordan to possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that you and your offspring may live Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. That you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. You see, God is faithful. He made a covenant with the people of Israel, and he said, I will give you the land. I will bless you with a relationship with me in that land. But if you stray from that relationship, you will lose the promises. God is faithful to show mercy, and he is faithful to judge. Both of those things are, work hand in hand to display his faithfulness. And when we hear this, this passage that I just read where Moses says to the people, through, or the Lord says through Moses to the people, hey, walk with me, things are going to be good, go away and things are going to be bad. Sometimes when we hear that, we may, whether it's because of our own personal history or whether it's because of our own presuppositions, we may see that as God being like capricious or just holding the hammer, waiting to smash us, saying, I'm waiting for you to go wrong. And when you do, that's it. You're done. Stay with me. We, we see this almost as like a hostage situation. Um, but that is not at all, not at all what the Lord is saying. What he's saying is, I love you so much that I hate sin. I want to invite you to a life with me. You were made for a relationship with God. That is your purpose in life. That is the meaning in life. That's what you were created for, to walk with God in right relationship. That's it. But we have this problem of sin. Sin is us turning away from God and deciding to go our own way. So it's natural that God says, you don't want to walk with me. You lose those blessings. Well, let's see what happens to Manasseh, who... We had already seen him walked away. Let's see God's response. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. For years, the Lord had sent prophets, like the prophet Hosea, over a hundred years before Manasseh's reign, 
or about 100 years, I suppose, who said, My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. Hosea was telling this to the people of Israel about 20 to 30 years before they were captured and deported and made wanderers among the nations. Or the prophet Amos. Amos was a cool guy. He, he was hardcore. Like he said it exactly like it is, sometimes graphically, but that's kind of what you get with, with the Lord. And Amos warned the people of Israel and the people of Judah. He said, if you don't follow the Lord, you're going to be kicked out, you're going to be taken away. But in one passage, he uses this peculiar phrase and says, they shall take you away with fish hooks. It's a little weird. Amos was prophesying about a um, hundred or so years before Manasseh's reign. Let's see what happened to Manasseh. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks, and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. There's a lot going on here. One is the reference to hooks. This was a specific Assyrian practice. The Assyrians, they worshipped war. Other nations around them worshipped gods of fertility, you know, farming. The Assyrians, they worshipped war. That is how they made their living. And they were brutal. They were terrible. They would capture an entire city, enslave the people, put fish hooks through their faces, their noses usually, and make them into a human chain and make them walk back to one of the Assyrian capitals, like Nineveh, or after they captured Babylon, like Babylon. It's exactly what happened to Manasseh. It's what happened to the people of Israel about 60 years before this. So Manasseh had seen this happen, and it happens to him. And when he was in distress, and this is where the turn happens, Manasseh had been like prophetically, he didn't choose this, but the Lord made him a prophetic model of what did happen to Israel and what would happen to Judah. You walk away, you lose the land. He got brought to Assyria by fish hooks through his face. And I imagine he was severely humbled because he had heard the prophets. He had seen what had happened before. And the word says this, And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Have you ever been humbled? Have you ever been walking your own way only to realize that you have failed? Only to realize that everything that you thought was right is wrong? Maybe that realization came for you quickly, like it did to Manasseh. Maybe it came for you slowly. For me, that happened when I was about 16. Um, I, was, I was a good kid, raised by decent parents. You know, moral, upstanding, great family. I love them to death. And, uh, but this idea of walking with God, having a personal, personal relationship with Him, that was not a thing that I, I understood. It wasn't something that anybody in my family really understood until I started going to this thing called Young Life where I heard about Jesus and heard his story presented in a way that teenage me could understand. And through that and through a series of relationships with other people, I began to see that I am a sinner and I have this problem of sin where I have been made, you know, created to walk with God, to have a relationship with him, but I've turned away. I tried to fix that. I tried to correct my behavior but when I was 16, 
I realized that I couldn't do that. I realized that I could not live up to God's perfect standard on my own, no matter how hard I tried. And that summer, I went to this Young Life camp where I heard about this Jesus and how he was God in the flesh. God desired a relationship with me, but that problem of sin persisted. But Jesus, he took on himself the judgment of God so that I could have access to the mercy of God. And I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew very little about this Jesus, but I knew that he should be the leader of my life. So on the first hole of the Frisbee golf course in uh, Rockbridge Young Life Camp in Goshen, Virginia, the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains, I just said, God, I surrender. Lead my life. My prayer was probably something similar to Manasseh, but maybe not as severe because I wasn't worshiping false gods or killing children, but I was going my own way. And I said, Lord, you lead my life. I surrender. I, I can't do it. From that moment, I turned around and I began to walk with God. My life has been radically different. Some of you have had a similar experience, whether it was in a moment like that where you turned and began to walk with God. For some of you, it was gradual, and you're jealous of people who have a story where there was a moment they can trace it to. Don't be jealous. God has been calling you, and you've been walking with him. That's what matters. Some of you, however, have not turned around yet. You're still walking your own way. And so today is an invitation for you to do that. Turn away from your own life and turn towards life with God. Choose life and good. If we continue on in the story here, you can read more of this for yourself. Manasseh goes back. It says he prayed to, he prayed to God, was moved, God was moved by his entreaty, God heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. And you can read about how Manasseh starts enacting reforms. He starts tearing down some of those altars, tearing down the, the idols, instituting laws where Yahweh was the only God. It wasn't perfect. There were still people worshiping on hilltops. They were worshiping at these local shrines, but they were only worshiping the Lord. So it's not good. It's not ideal, but it was moving in the right direction. He was trying to move the people back towards the Lord. Parents, maybe that's your life. Maybe you had a life change and you turned yourself around, and you, God turned you around. You didn't turn yourself around, but you turned towards the Lord and you started walking with him and you hoped your children would do the same. But there's something we need to know, is that faith is not inherited. Institutions are inherited. Institutions are good. Institutions direct us. Books like this direct us to walk with the Lord. But you have to make that decision to walk on your own. If we continue in 2 Chronicles, we see the story of Ammon, Manasseh's son. Because eventually Manasseh died. And this is Ammon's life. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. Manasseh reigned 55. Ammon reigned two. He did what was, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. He did not humble himself before the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. But this Ammon, 
Look how scripture puts that. This Ammon incurred guilt more and more. We don't know any details about Manasseh and Ammon's relationship. We know very little past what the Bible has told us. Interestingly, though, these are two kings, at least Manasseh, that's mentioned outside the Bible. The Assyrians have records of Manasseh's, Manasseh and um, of him like paying them off. And we don't know much about Ammon, though. All we know is that he rejected the Lord. He saw, he saw what happened when a people began to turn around. He said, no, let's just do what the Assyrians are doing. They're, they're the big boys. We're just going to keep worshiping like they did. In fact, we don't need this, this singular God. That's crazy. And he went right back to worshiping false idols. He didn't do it for long. And his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Sounds chaotic. And the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. I think there's a reason that Manasseh and Ammon are juxtaposed so starkly. Manasseh was a terrible king. In fact, if you read the account in 2 Kings 21, there's no mention of his repentance. There's no mention of any positive note of his life whatsoever. He's that bad. But the chronicler mentions his repentance, juxtaposes that with Ammon and Ammon's rejection. And I think what we can see is that each generation is called to walk with God, not relying on the mercy shown to the previous one. But we must, in each generation, for each of us individually, we must turn around and walk with God. And that brings us to our next steps. If you have been walking away from the Lord, if you've been going your own way, maybe you have just been doing what everyone else does. You know? Maybe you go to youth group or you've been hanging out in this church for a while or maybe you just kind of wandered in wondering what's happening. And you've been living your own life. You think about, you know, you think about religious things occasionally, but you haven't had this moment where you humble yourself like Manasseh and turn around. I'm inviting you today to do that. Repent of your sin. Repent just means turn around. And accept God's invitation to walk with him. That's what you were made for. Your life will not be easy. In fact, since I turned around and began walking with God, I've encountered a lot of hardship. But it's worth it. Unlike the people of Israel, we don't have this, this covenant promise of a, of a specific area of land. We don't have a promised land on this side of eternity. We have the new heavens and the new earth promised to us on the other side of eternity when Jesus comes back. But until then, instead of a promised land, we have a promised life. A life in right relationship with God. That's what I'm inviting you to. If you've been walking with God for a while, whether it's years or weeks or months, decades, days, I just invite you to simply keep walking. The world, the world is chaotic. It's filled with brokenness. 
When you surrender to the Lord, there's no magical incantation or formula that will lead you to have some kind of perfect planned life. Don't believe the influencers who say, here's everything you need to do to have the perfect life. It's not true. But as you walk with God, you can be encouraged by the generations before. Other people who have gone through it too. So in a very practical way, I just advise you to to learn from the faith of those who came before. Read old books. Talk to people who have been walking with God for a long time. Sing old songs. This is not a new faith. This is an ancient faith that we have inherited access to. So I invite you today to either turn around or to keep walking. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your son. I pray that if we need to, we would turn around and that we would keep walking. Amen.